welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Wouldn't it be strange if you went out for dinner to a fancy restaurant and just spent the whole time you were there looking at the menu? Wouldn't that be strange? You get ready, you dress yourself, you come to this beautiful place, you get the best seat in the house and your experience is such that all that happens while you're there with whoever you're there with is that you just look at the menu. And I say that because sometimes as Christians, we're guilty of doing just that. We have the menu, the Word of God, and we can have all the experiences, all of the realities of who God is in our lives. Is there anyone here who loves the fact that He's your Heavenly Father? Give me a wave if that's meaningful to you. And is there anyone here who thinks it's wonderful that Jesus is our Savior? Give me a wave. You may be the same person. You're waving twice. You could, have, you could move all your limbs at one point. I'd be happy with that. What about this, that he's the lover of your soul? Has anyone discovered that about him, that he's the lover of your soul? What about this? He's the great baptizer who pours out his spirit on our very broken and bruised souls. Anybody happy about that? Yeah, what about this? He's the soon and coming king. Is there anybody excited that, that we're living, although we're living in difficult times, and he's your healer and the restorer of your soul? You see, when you look at the counsel of the nature and the character of God, we are going to spend the rest of eternity discovering him. And you know, in heaven, whenever they worship, they cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb of God and worthy to be praised. And like they hadn't seen it fully, holy, holy. And forever and ever, he unveils his majesty to those who are his family. So we don't have to read the menu at church. We don't have to come and just pick out the scriptures and think, isn't that nice? God can pour out his spirit on all flesh. We can come with expectation that we can taste and see that the Lord is good. We don't have to come to church and say, I believe categorically, theology-wise, he's my healer and walk away unhealed. We come to taste and to see that the Lord is good. We don't have to sing songs about his greatness without tasting and seeing his greatness for ourselves. When we gather together, these are moments when all that is available to us is down to our ability and our hunger. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I go to a restaurant, I order the same thing every time. Do you do that? And I have a wife, and she reads the menu from end to end. It drives me mental. I mean, what can there be? Chicken, meat, what is... what? And she wants to know what sauce there is. And, you know, I have another friend who, if we didn't wake him up, he would sleep with the menu. He loves the menu. He just holds it dear to his heart, close to his life. But, you know, if I'm honest with you, I always want more than one thing. I think, what will we have for a starter? And there's like six or seven different options. And then you have that fight, don't you, with yourself. If I have a starter, can I have a dessert? Do you have that fight? Or have you just given up? Have you stopped fighting the good fight? Okay. You think, if I have a starter, I can't have a dessert. And some people just go straight to the desserts. Have you noticed that? 
what's in the dessert menu. And they choose their dessert before they choose their main course. And then don't get me started on the main course because you've got all these extra things that come with it. And you know when the waitress or the waiter comes, you say, what does that come with? Because you're hoping that she'll tell a secret that comes with everything else. <laughs> everything you want, sir. Everything you want, madam. I don't and can't settle for the fact that we come to church to read the menu. I am absolutely convinced that we can taste and see that the Lord is good. And you don't have to choose between a starter and a dessert. Because this is all calorie free. Yeah? You can have as much of God as you want. Are you hungry today? Are you hungry for as much of God as you want? You see, God always moves according to your hunger. He always moves according to your thirst. And I can be in a room like this, and I've been in them for many, many years. And there's somebody who's really receiving from God. They're just experiencing something of God's presence, presence and blessing. And then sitting next to them is Mr. and Mrs. Granite, who were carved out of stone at birth. What is happening? Is God moving? Absolutely. But their hunger and their thirst has not become apparent to them. And you see in this room, no matter where you are on that spectrum, we all thirst for Jesus. Or we may have quenched our thirst with all kinds of things. We may have filled our spiritual bellies with all kinds of junk food this week. But you and I were created to know him. You and I were created for him. And you and I will never be satisfied without the fullness of him. How hungry are you this morning? How thirsty are you this morning? You know, a number of years ago, a friend of mine said this sentence. It changed the way I thought about what we do on a Sunday. He said, we never preach to the church till they're satisfied. That's the wrong way to think. We preach people hungry. We preach people to be thirsty. And so if you don't like the sermon, that's a great excuse for me. You can just say, well, I was thirsty for something better. I was hungry for something more. But stay hungry because you can have as much off the menu as your spiritual belly. And I'm grateful to God because, you know, the scriptures say that out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And I've got one for the Father, one for the Son. And one for the Holy Spirit. I've got three bellies. Three belly foster, they call me. One for the Father, one for the Son. I'm not asking you to examine your own tummy. I'm just telling you my secrets. Go to 2 Peter for me, please. 2 Peter. We find ourselves on our journey at a point where we need to rethink some things. Some things have become a little bit too familiar and consequently are going unnoticed. And the first thing to say about that is this. It's not enough for us just to be blessed. In fact, you will never ever have that amount of blessing that it completely and utterly satisfies. Let me tell you why. Because you were created not just to be blessed, but you were created to be a blessing. In fact, as you walk through the scriptures, you'll see over and over and over again 
that sometimes the people who follow God, the people who serve God, actually camp in this thought that the whole existence here on earth is to be blessed. And you see, it's part of the two-sided, two-fold reality of what blessing truly looks like. When you are blessed, you are blessed by God with a purpose that's greater and more majestic than you could ever imagine. And that purpose is that you would be blessed, absolutely, but actually you'd be so blessed, so blessed, that you would become a blessing to the people around you. I think God loves the idea that he can use the blessing he places on our lives for the benefit of those who don't know him. And I'm really excited about exploring the potential of that because I've been in revival context for a long time and one of the greatest tragedies about them, no matter how much the spirit moves, is people build a dam. And they say things like this, well, I'm coming to church because I want God to fill my life with his presence. And if you want to keep what God is doing and you want to increase what God has begun, let me tell you a secret, give it away. And as you give it away, it will be given back to you, pressed down, shaken up, and overflowing. Let me give you an example. If you get a tenor from a stranger this week, hallelujah. <laughs> You're all in receive mode now. <laughs> give it away. And that tenor will turn into 100 pounds. Because it's more blessed to give than it is even to receive. And would you be blessed in receiving? Absolutely. If a stranger walked up to me and gave me a tenor, I would think, Jesus, you're alive and well and moving in Sally Oak. But the reality is, if I want to experience more of God, I need to learn the principles of how the kingdom works. It is blessed for me to receive, but it's a greater blessing for me to give. And as I give away what God has given me, he gives it back again, pressed down, shaken up and overflowing. How could we possibly miss this? But this is how we think. And we think like this because we're orphans. We've thought thoughts like this, holding on to the blessing of God, holding on to the things God gives us because we've lived a long time in the wilderness. We don't know how to live in the wonder of the God who is exceedingly above anything we could ask or imagine. If you want to see the Spirit move in your life, Move him by being moved yourself. To give something to someone somewhere, being a blessing in whatever way or particular manifestation you feel led to do. And as you do that, you will receive the fullness or greater fullness of the measure of all that Christ has afforded to you. And we miss this over and over and over and over again. So, God is moving People are getting saved all over the place right now. I think in the last three weeks, we've got seven, maybe eight people who've, out of the blue, just decided to follow Jesus. Hallelujah. I didn't do it. You didn't do it. God is doing something. Okay, so as God begins to move, if I don't move with Him, if I'm not coming into partnership with Him, I will be restricting what he wants to do in me and what he wants to do through me. Do you understand the principle? So whether I feel completely 
given over to evangelism or not, I need to do the work of an evangelist. I need to come into partnership with my actions, with that which the Spirit of God is inviting me to. And as I start to walk with God, I start to see more of God. Did you hear that? You want to see God move powerfully, but you don't want to move at all. So in the Great Commission, we have this statement right at the beginning, where Jesus says to his disciples who were carrying on his work, all authority under heaven and earth, Matthew 28, has been given to me. I now give it to you. Go and make disciples. We think making disciples is what we're supposed to do, and it is. It's the outcome of what we're supposed to do. But actually, the going is the bit that we miss. We need to go. We need to go into the world as God's agents his secret weapons of mass destruction, to tear down the strongholds of the enemy and set captives at liberty. That's the mission of the church. And it's blessed for us to be invited to. That's blessed for us to give. So we've been talking about this now for a couple of weeks. We're getting ourselves ready for a harvest. I'd let that sit there for a minute. You don't have to watch me twice. Once is enough, trust me. Okay, okay. To Peter, let's look at this together. Last week we looked at praying for those around us that God has placed in our lives. And um, I don't know if you've managed to come onto the website. You can click on this particular image on the website, the blessed image, and you can get a little bit of a handout. You can print it out and you can write down the names of people that God leads you to pray for. Um, I can't see what that says. What does that say? Okay. 2 Peter 1 verses 3 to 11. Let's read it together. His divine power has given us everything. Say everything. Everything. So that means now that you and I lack nothing. You have been given everything. And everything is your positional reality in Christ. Because Jesus has died for your sins, he has risen from the dead and ascended to heaven, everything that's necessary for you to be restored to the fullness of the reality that God created for you has already been accomplished. You lack nothing. Now, I'm looking out at you and we're saying something quite profound and you look exceptionally unmoved. Are you telling us, Pastor, that everything that we need is already available? Are you telling us, Pastor, that all that is required, all that I would ever want, ever dream, ever hope for, has already been established for me? Are you telling me, Pastor, that through Christ Jesus, freedom, which I've fought many years to work at and, and be complete in, that is actually available, yes. Are you telling me that my healing is already available to me? Someone say amen. amen. Are you telling me, Lord, that those broken parts of my life that I've tried forever to be restored and renewed actually have already been established and renewed in Christ Jesus? 
Are you reminding us, Pastor, this morning that we stand in a place where it is finished? Where we're not living from lack, we're living from fullness. We're not living from need, we're living from the completeness of God. Are you reminding us, Pastor, that all I have to do is find myself positioned under the fullness of all that Christ has accomplished for me and all that I ever wanted and all that I ever needed and all that I ever hoped for in Christ is afforded to me because He has established the blessings for my life in the heavenly realms. He has made the boundaries for me fall in pleasant places. He has extended the territory that's available to me because of his victory over sin. Hallelujah, Pastor. Hallelujah. I couldn't be more blessed than I am today. Every spiritual blessing that's afforded to me has been given to me through grace. So that through his grace, his greatness becomes apparent to me. Every single blessing is given to me so that mercy can rewrite my story. And where people told me I would never be, I would never have, God says, no. For I have established in the heavenly realms a place where you can prosper and be fulfilled. Are you telling me that through that process of Jesus rising from the dead, I can experience new life? I can experience abundant life? I can experience living free from sin? Yes. I'm telling you that Jesus has provided everything necessary, not for your success here on the earth, but that you may be blessed to be a blessing. Hanging over your life is the legacy of Christ. Hanging heavy over your life is the fullness of God. The heavens are open over you. Will you receive from him the revelation necessary, not just to sing about his blessing or hope for it one day, but to live in it today? Who's going to say amen to that? Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. That's my prayer. Lord, I believe. I know you've done this for me. So here's the thing. If Jesus has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, what is that blessing about? And I've alluded to this already. It's not about my personal success. Do you know you could be successful without God? Lots of people are successful without God. But church, listen carefully. You can never be fruitful without God. And being fruitful is so much more than being successful. Being successful is about a job or a title or the acumen of certain particular things. But being fruitful means that everything in your life is working well. Do you know you can be successful and have a terrible home life? I mean, people can shout your name in the street because you're a celebrity, but you can't face yourself in the mirror because you have no victory over the addiction that you've got. What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? It's not about where you live or what people say about you, what people think about you. To be blessed, you need to be in relationship with God. And you have been positioned by Jesus under the cloud of great blessing. You stand in a place of possibility. You stand in a place of victory. You stand in a place where Christ has made afforded to you everything that he's established through his death and his resurrection, his ascension and his glory. You stand under the canopy of God's grace. You stand under the mercy of God. You stand under the love of Father.
And some of us are putting up our umbrellas as we speak. How could that be? How could it be that God could do that for me? Let me tell you, from the foundations of the earth, he wanted to establish that reality over you. That was the truest identity of man before the fall and sin took a hold. But we have been living outside of it for so long, we don't know how to live in it. I've just given you a secret. When God blesses you this week, bless somebody else straight away. And what happens is that which seems narrow gets wider. God gives you something this week, and it could be anything, because he has so much to give. If he gives you a scripture, give somebody else two scriptures. If he gives you an experience of his love, pour that love out on somebody else. Go and pray for somebody. Go and do an act of kindness. Be generous with your heart, because he is generous in his heart towards you. And you could never earn it or gain it by works. It's only by his spirit that these things come to our lives. And as you do what God has shown you he does... You open up an expansive place for his blessings to flow in your life. Can somebody say amen to me, please? You're looking at me bewildered here. His divine power has given us everything. Say everything. And he's given it to us so that we can have a godly life. Now let me just camp here for a minute. What is a godly life? Is it coming to church? Is it saying prayers? Is it knowing the Bible? The devil knows the Bible, by the way. I'm just saying, don't hit me. What is a godly life? A life that's saturated and overflowing with God himself. That's a godly life. I'm so full of him, I have no need for sin. That's a godly life. A godly life is the abundance and blessing of the presence and the fullness of Jesus living in me. And you see, the good thing about that reality is it doesn't matter where I live. See, when I'm living in the abundance of Jesus, it doesn't matter who's against me. Greater is he who is in me. When I'm living a godly life full of Christ, it doesn't matter if I have problems. If I'm living from that place, I start to understand that in every problem, there's a provision and there's a promise from God. Why? Because my perspective is different because I'm living in the fullness of the reality of Jesus. If I'm living in the fullness of Jesus, I don't need him or her to keep me satisfied. I am already satisfied. I am fulfilled in Christ. Come on, wake up, wake up, wake up. This is truth. When I'm living in the reality of Jesus, when my whole life is saturated by his goodness and his glory, guess what? I'm not tempted to follow the tactics and the ways of the enemy. Why? Because kingdom abundance was my call. Kingdom abundance is my inheritance. Kingdom abundance is what Jesus came to establish. Kingdom abundance is what's available to me today. I would not want to live in a lesser reality than being fully immersed in the blessing that God has already provided for me. Well, two of us are excited about that, Jesus. Maybe by the end, there'll be three. I'm so full of hope. His divine power has given, say given, Already established us 
everything. Say everything. We need for a godly life. Yeah, you already have it. It's here. It's available to you. Through how? Our knowledge of him. I was raised a Catholic and I lived with a sense of God in my life. But I lived outside of a knowledge of him. Other people told me what I should believe. Other people spoke what they thought I needed to hear. And I thought I understood what they were saying because I was in an environment where Jesus was talked about. But I did not have a knowledge of him. And this word knowledge can only happen when we understand that this is not about accumulating information. This is about submitting myself to revelation. I need to see him. I need to experience him. I need to know him for myself. It's not enough that you know him. It's not enough that the pastor tells me he exists. It's not enough that the worship team sings songs. I can know God for myself. I can know him personally. I can know him powerfully. I can have him present with me in the course of my life. And our knowledge of him is not filling our heads with information. It's filling our hearts with revelation. And you need to fill your heart with revelation. Do you know why? Because your heart leaks. And while you believe Jesus is Lord, tomorrow you might make a decision that says something slightly different. Your actions don't always follow what you say you believe. But if you confess him with your mouth and believe him in your heart, we use our mouth to declare the new reality, but our heart needs to submit to his presence and his authority. When somebody knows Jesus, they speak from a different place. There's an authority through intimacy and knowledge that you can't fake. You can't conjure it up through noise or spiritual ease. It's just there. It's a reality. And knowing him ensures that I'm known by him. Even though I am already known by him, when I know him, I know that he knows me. He counts the hairs on my head. He, he keeps the tears that I cry. He knows my coming. He knows my going. He knows everything about me. And knowing him is why Jesus came. He came so that I could know the Father. I could know his love. I could know his freedom. I could know his liberty. I could know his justice. I could know breakthrough in my life, even though I've been captive for sin for many, many years. When he comes, when I see, I am free in Jesus' name. But I have to see. I have to see. I can't just think my way into change. I have to experience my way into a new way of thinking. And this was never about information. This was about revelation. Behold, he comes. We sing it, but we don't live it. His divine power, say given, has given me, you, us, everything. Say everything. We need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. That's intimacy and revelation. Who has called us? Now I want to camp on this for a minute. By his glory. Do you remember the scripture that says, For all have sinned 
and fallen short of the glory of God? Can I just explain to you what I think we need to see reestablished in our minds, our hearts, our lives? When God created you, he created you to know his glory. You would have been, we were all intended to be glorious. Reflections of the one who is all glory. And sin stole from us that reality. But Jesus came to restore it. You have sinned and fallen short of the glory, but he has come to restore you in the fullness of that glory. He has come to restore you to the glorious person you were created to be. Somebody created from, in, and out from the heart of a God who is glorious. You could not be unglorious when Jesus is the one who has saved you. We are called to glory. Now take a quick look at the word that comes after it because they come together a lot in the scriptures. When we hear of God's glory, what does God's glory actually look like in our lives? It says, to him who has called us by his own glory, not our glory, and goodness. You see, if I want to see glory in my life, I want to see the blessing manifest, it turns up in my life as goodness. About 20 years ago, I was praying for someone. I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but forgive me if I have. And um, it was a little old lady who came to the front. She'd been around for years in the church. Came to the front to be prayed for. And I was feeling not very holy at all. Do you ever have days like that? Come on, some of us have had years like that. Tell the truth. Yeah? And so I asked somebody in the prayer ministry team, would you go and pray for this lady? You know, it's called ducking and diving in the heavenly realms. And this lady, Marion, went to pray for this lady. And uh, I could see that she was ministering to her, and I thought, well, that satisfies that. But to my surprise, this old lady makes her way round the back of the chairs and back up to this position again. And she wants prayer. And I think, why has she come back for prayer? You know, she's just been prayed for. And uh, she comes back for prayer. And if I used Marion and it didn't work, I needed to use somebody else. So I think, who could it be? Who could it be? Could the assistant pastor was very godly. He said, you come pray for that lady and bless her in things of God. And we carried on worshiping and praying for people. And lo and behold, she's back around this side of the prayer line. So now this is the third time and I'm saying, God, what is going on here? So I thought, whatever's happened, she hasn't been satisfied with whatever's happened. So I walk towards her and I say to her, um, she had sight problems. I said to her, is there something that, that you want? And she said, I want you to pray for me. I thought, oh, this is going to be great. I mean, those two didn't make a blind bit of difference to you. And you want me to pray for you? This is going to be good. And as I go to take her hand, she's a sweet little old lady. This is what God said to me. This is glory. He says, spit in her eyes. Now, let me just explain something to you. Okay, before you all run out the door horrified. If there's one thing I hate above lots of things, it's spitting. I think it's disgusting. I don't know why people do it. Get a hanky. You lazy beggar, get a hanky. Okay? 
And so I hate, I don't think I've ever spat in my life. I don't think I've ever been somebody that spat. I've avoided it like the plague. And so, let me demonstrate with Sam, if you don't mind. So this little old lady standing, not that that's any prophecy of his <laughs> And so I think, what are we going to do? I have to do what God asked me to do. So I tilt her head up, because you don't want to miss, do you? <laughs> Imagine it. Everything in me is horrified. I cannot believe. I can see out of the corner of my eye other people in the ministry team thinking, what? And I spit into her eyes. And we stood there for what seemed like a week. And I could see the saliva streaming down her face. Glory. Glory, really? And then, to add insult to injury, she starts crying. Well, how many of you turn up at church to get spat upon by the pastor? Okay? And I'm trying to console her because I'm so embarrassed by what's happened. I thought, maybe I haven't heard you right, God. Maybe that's not, you know, all the things. And she looks up at me and the spit's on her face. And she says, I can see. I can see, I can see. And she'd been diagnosed about a day or so before with some kind of condition where her eyesight had deteriorated so rapidly she could barely see her hand in front of her face. And so when I think of glory, I think of the goodness of God. Was that good for me? <laughs> I'm sure it didn't feel good to her. But in a moment, out of obedience, as I step beyond myself and start thinking about who Christ is and what he can do, her eyesight was fully restored. In fact, she used to wear glasses uh, because when she could read or could see, she needed such a strong lens. She never put her glasses on until the day she died. God restored her sight like it was new. When you see someone's life being touched by Jesus, that's glory and goodness coming together and God is restoring. When you watch somebody get blessed, that's his goodness. When you see a miracle, that's his glory and his goodness. To him be the glory, but his goodness manifests in our bodies. When you see God break something off someone's life. And we're about to see that as a church. Some of us in this room, we need deliverance. We've had counseling forever, but we need deliverance. We need the hand of God to break in on a situation so we can be free to live for him. Okay, that's God's glory and that's God's goodness working, partnered together. So when we think of all this, and this is who he is and what he has offered to us and what Jesus has established for us, we should walk every day of our lives with an expectation to see God's goodness. Why? Because he has blessed us already in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And as I move out of myself towards giving to someone what I think is the blessing God has given to me, I find that he increases it and he increases it and increases it. Do you know if one of you in this room just prayed for somebody to be sick, you might find you have a healing ministry. Because as you step towards it, God will bless it because his goodness and his glory will come upon it. 
Some of us in this room, we keep saying, why doesn't my family ever come to Jesus Christ? Why don't you tell them about Jesus Christ? Tell them about what Christ has done for you. And you'll find that that glory and that goodness will turn up in your conversation. And before you know who you are, you've got them all coming to church. Not that that's always God's end game. Might be my end game as the pastor, but it's not always God's end game. So, why is this important? Why do we need to know this? Because unless we have an understanding of what already has been established, unless we appreciate that we get to operate in the glory and the goodness of God, we will never move beyond this position. And we will never be who we're supposed to be. We're gone too far now. Okay. I'm going to take a few minutes just to tell you some things. The greatest problem I have, do you want to know what it is? It's not being fat. I know you jump to conclusions. Okay. Mind your own business. <laughs> greatest problem I have, I talk too much. Do you? Are you quiet? My friend, who's a pastor of a large church, he says, if you're talking for longer than five minutes, sin is crouching at your door. What if sin is crouching at my door at five minutes? What's it going to be like in an hour? He says, you talk too much. In fact, a friend of mine came when I first came to the city, and she said, she's a prophetic voice, she said, take a vow of silence before the Lord. Why? Because as a pastor, as a leader in a church, much of what you do is about talking. Talking to people in your office, you're talking to people on a platform. And you know, I didn't kiss the Blarney Stone. I swallowed it whole. So all of my family are talkers. And if I'm a talker, I won't be a good listener. Have you found that? And when it comes to reaching people for Jesus, I think we are under the illusion that if we talk more, they'll get more. <laughs> have you ever thought that? Do you have conversations with people and you're answering questions they're not even asking? Anybody like me? Do, do you not think when you're trying to talk to people, Jesus, that more is more? So you talk to them about their need for a savior, and then you quantify theologically why salvation is valuable. I mean, we're into two hours at that point. But you haven't done the one thing that Jesus did all the time. Listen. How can I answer someone's questions if I don't even know what those questions are? I am making huge presumptions about what people need to hear. And so one of the disciplines in our blessed season is that we all want to get a little bit better at listening. In fact, if I could sing the Beyonce song, I would sing it. Listen to the song here in my heart. We need to listen more and talk less. You know when you're trying to reach your friends? Shut up, shut up for Jesus. Soldiers of the Lord. Why? Because when you're talking, you're not listening. 
And you know, both of us, we need to get better at listening. Now, what are we listening for? Good question, Pastor. Thank you for asking it. We're listening to discover where God is at work in that person's life. And we need to discover what God is doing in a person if we're ever going to join the conversation with any spiritual clarity. We need to understand that. So in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10, the apostle Paul gets called to the city of Rome, the big city of Rome. And there's a whole hoo-ha about him going to Rome. And um, it's God's will, God's purpose. There's all kinds of things. And he's commissioned to go, and he goes to Rome. And he does what most good Christians do. He goes to the local synagogue. For us, church. And Paul turns up at the local church in the city of Rome, and he's preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching. The Bible says day after day. You think I'm long. Day after day. <laughs> he's preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching in the synagogue and the fruit was non-existent now in charge of that synagogue the synagogue leader he and his family lived right next door to the synagogue and so I suppose feeling sorry for the preacher who he'd listened to endlessly now Paul would have been good he invites him around for tea and when Paul goes next door to the synagogue leader's family, guess what happens? He's shocked to discover that God is working next door to the church. You see, we have this presumption that whatever God wants to do is going to happen in here. But next door to where you live, to where I live, to where you sit at work, to who you travel with on the bus... Next door, God is at work. And in that story, in Acts chapter 10, all of the synagogue leader's household came to faith in Jesus Christ. We want the blessing in here, but we fail to understand that the dot has moved out there. God is blessing outside the church. That means when I'm talking to someone, when I'm trying to engage with someone, when I'm trying to communicate with someone, I need to listen more than I talk because I want to hear what God is already doing in their life. And as they talk, they will begin to disclose the story. Amen? Amen. So I can't come with presumption into that conversation. I can only come with curiosity and humility and say, God, what are you doing here? You love this person. I don't know them. You know them. You are already at work in their lives at some level or in some way. Show me what you're doing, God. Do you know, I have a conversation with Jesus every time I meet with somebody in the church. I, I say, Jesus, who is this person? Now, I already know their name. And um, often I know why they've come to see me. Often they tell me what they think I want to hear. Well, pastor, I'm trying to be good, but this has happened and... You know, this nonsense that we fall into sin. You don't fall into sin. You plan it weeks ahead and then you go and do it. Let's keep it real. It tripped up. Okay, so they're talking and I'm saying, God, this is good. I like what they're saying. They're saying all the right things. Who are they? Who is this person? What is it about them, Lord God, that you love and value and cherish? What's their real identity? 
What's the deepest longing in their heart? What's the thing that they can't articulate that they're searching for so badly that they've turned up in my office to talk about it? What's going on in them, God? What's going on around them? What are the circumstances of their life that you are orchestrating so they can find you as their Lord and Savior? What is happening here? And you see, what we're doing in those moments is we're moving from self-talk to soul talk. Where we're asking the Spirit to speak to us about another human being that's sitting opposite us. And when we are in conversations and we're listening to people, I guarantee you, if you incline your ear to God, God will reveal things to you that you can't see with your natural eyes. You see, people come to my office and they say, Pastor, I need to be involved in the ministry team. I feel I've got a calling on my life. And as I'm listening, I'm saying, Holy Spirit, who is this person? What are you doing in their life? What is it that you have for them? Okay, they're having a conversation with me. I'm having a conversation with God. God's having a conversation with them. And all of us together will arrive at the same point. But I need to incline my ear. I need to ask. I need to discover what God is already doing next door or in another person who's sitting next to me. I can't presume that the conversation we're having is the conversation we need to have. There is a conversation greater than just the veneer of self-talk. There's a deeper conversation called soul talk where my soul can hear from heaven what's happening in that person's soul. Now, when it says to us that we have been called to his divine nature, contemplate with me what that divine nature looks like. Because you know in heaven right now as we're sitting here, the Father delights in the Son. And the Son delights in the Father. And the Holy Spirit loves the Father and the Son. And the Spirit and the Son love the Holy Spirit. And there's this triune circle of delight and love that's taking place. And from that you were conceived. And from that you were born again. And from that God has a destiny already planned and sorted for you. You were created in love. You were created from love. And you were created for love. But that affirming, delight-filled environment was meant to be replicated here on earth. It's known to us as the church. The church. We're meant to reflect that. And if we want that, we can't do surface or veneer. We can't do self-talk. We have to learn the language of the Spirit. And the language of the Spirit moves amongst men and women and children and whoever in such a powerful way. You see, how can it possibly be that I can have a conversation with someone and they walk away from it not enriched by Jesus? Let me tell you how it's possible because I'm talking self-talk. I'm not talking soul talk. I'm not connecting with that human being at the level I was created by God to connect And in a church like this, we are so used to self-talk in our world. It's full of self-talk. You sit next to somebody on a bus, and at least in Birmingham, people speak to each other occasionally. Most people talk about things that are surface, don't they? But you know, your divine call in this world is to take the reality of what Jesus has established for you, okay, and make it present where you sit. And so we can't do self-talk. We're called to something higher than that. We're called to something more than that. So in my attempt 
to try and understand this, I realize there are some things affecting it in my life. And they primarily come from social media. You know, we are more connected than we've ever been as human beings, but we feel so isolated and distant, like no other time in history. There's absolutely not many people on the planet who feel that they're living the fullness of real relationship here on earth. Why? Because self-talk has replaced soul talk. Do you think when Jesus speaks to his father, it's anything less than glorious? Absolutely not. And so when we speak to one another, it shouldn't be anything less than glorious. We should leave each other's company enriched by the experience because every conversation you have either leads people deeper into relationship with God or further and we get to make up our mind which it is. But social media has done a number. Look at the things it does for us. It reduces relationships. Face-to-face -face interaction has become a thing of the past. We're living in some virtual world where real human touch and conversation doesn't really happen. Less and less and less. When I was a kid, we didn't have much, but when we had dinner, everybody sat down. Now in our house, when everybody sits down, I'm on my phone, my wife's on her phone, my daughter's on her phone. I looked across the room last night at the three of us. We were all on our phones. We're all in the same room. The telly's on and the dogs are on our lap. I think, what is this picture of modern living? It was bad enough yesterday. I was up a ladder cutting down trees and I text Jane in the house to make me a cup of tea. so easy to slip into a world that's real when right before you God has placed people Jesus says this phrase I love it he says father I have taken care of those you have given me right here right now in my life there are people who need my attention and I need to see them as God sees them and I need to communicate them with them in the way that God created us to communicate I need to touch the soul of those that I live with if I'm ever going to touch the soul who those who live outside my house it distracts you from your life goals it can lead to a higher risk of depression relationships are more likely to fail stunts creativity let me talk to that for a minute when I was a kid it wasn't the toy you got for Christmas it was the box that came in I mean, I've made so many things out of boxes in my life. Have you? Yeah. I remember the first time my little daughter had a Christmas that she could understand. And we bought this big plastic kitchen for her. The box was huge. She never played with the kitchen. She stayed inside the box for weeks. <laughs> Why? Because there's something about us as human beings that want to make something creative in our lives. And if we keep feeding and feeding and feeding already accomplished creativity, it'll stint our capacity to think beyond what we are experiencing. Cyberbullying, social compromise. We have friends, Jane and I, who are very successful business people, and to be honest with you, I've stopped looking at their Facebook because they're on holiday every second week. <laughs> and you know, my sinfulness is so bad, I don't want to entertain that thought. I try to be blessed for them, Lanzarote, Greece, the Algarve. <laughs> and you can't help but think, what about me? I've served you, Jesus. Can't I go somewhere warm for a holiday? <laughs> and Jesus says, you'll go somewhere warm for eternity if you don't sort your attitude out. <laughs> oh, 
You'll never be called there, my son. <laughs> so, how do we connect with our neighbors? We listen. For the sound of God, who is already at work in their lives, because you do know he loves them, don't you? And you do know he's moved heaven to earth in Jesus to reach them, don't you? And you don't have to get in the way of that by trying to fill all the gaps with spiritual ease. You have to say all the things. You know, I, I th when I got saved, all the person said to me was this. Is you know you're a sinner, don't you? I really struggled with that because I thought I was a nice person. But when my head got round, I thought, yeah, I am a sinner. He said, you know that Jesus died for you, don't you? I said, well, not personally. He said, no, no, what's personal? Nobody told me about the second company. Nobody talked about the silver sockets of the tabernacle. Nobody asked me if I was washed in anybody's blood. We didn't have any of those. I didn't even pray the prayer. You know the prayer everybody prays? Because, you know, that's our problem when we're trying to reach people. We want to jump to the conclusion before we've even asked the questions. We want the seal, the deal, before we even know what the deal is. We've been trained some kind of formulaic approach to reaching people for Jesus. And because it doesn't work, we've stopped doing it. Why? Because we didn't listen. We didn't listen to the voice of the Spirit being echoed in the heart of an individual who has questions. The second thing we didn't do is trust the Holy Spirit. We thought we had to fill all the gaps in for him and tell them everything they needed to know so that salvation could come. Remember how we started this conversation? That if I have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, I don't have to live like I have lack. I can trust God with those around me in my life that don't know God. So this week, I want you to listen. On the bus, when someone talks to you, listen. Ask the Holy Spirit, what are you doing here, God? It's exciting. It's exciting. When you meet your neighbors who you see every week and you can't bear the sight. Sorry, that's just me. When you see, <laughs> you can't bear the sight of them, ask the Holy Spirit, what are you doing in this person's life? I was chatting to a, a young man this morning and he said, he found that this series, and he's an evangelist, a little bit hard because he said, when I went to write down the names of the people I wanted Jesus to, 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 to save, he said, I realized that they weren't the names that Jesus wanted me to write down. So I had to cross them out. Of course, it, it, he was honest enough to say, I wanted to write down the names of all the people I liked. And so he said, I had to cross two of them out. And God said, I want you to pray for this person and this person. He said, and the words that came out of my mouth shocked me. I thought, I don't like them. That's why Jesus said, I'd like you to do it. I'd like you to pray for that person because you don't like them. Because really, you need to like them. How can you see someone come to, to Christ or even see them from the eyes of Christ if you don't like them? So the prayer is good. But this, this week, if you want to go further with this, on our website, on the blessed icon at the front, you can click on all the resources that are available for you to practically work this out. There's some information there and some conversation there but stand with me please if you're watching with us online we just would like you to posture your heart for a moment because we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to teach us how to be still and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to train us in the art of discerning God's will. 
We're going to invite the Spirit to come and to lead us this week as we learn from Him how to be great listeners. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're already working in the lives of people around us. Just like Paul, we can be going at it night and day in one context, and yet, Lord God, there you are already working in another. Give us discernment and give us eyes to see what the Spirit is doing and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Lord, where we've got jaded in trying to reach our friends for Jesus and we've said all the great things we think we need to say, help us, Lord, to understand you're at work right there. You are ministering to those that no longer want to hear what we have to say. Thank you, God, that you never sleep and you never slumber, that you are always at work in this world to lead and to bring people home. I love that you want to bring people home, Father. Thank you for that. Lord, teach us how to discern what's happening with each other. Teach us, God, how to move from self-talk to soul talk, where your spirit is flowing in us and through us to bring life to those around us. We want the quality of relationship that is available to us as a result of what Christ has done for us. In the church, outside the church, we want true, authentic spiritual connections. In a world so void of intimacy, God, we ask you to build a kingdom that's a reality here, where that is our indeed current experiences and beyond. Come, Holy Spirit, this is going to be a great adventure. I pray this prayer of every heart, Lord, as we wake every day. May we pray it collectively right now. Lord Jesus, let's say it together. Lord Jesus, if your mercies are new every morning and your faithfulness is great, then every time I wake up, I awake to a day of possibility. The boundaries for me have been extended. I can have as much as I thirst for. So God, each day this week, I know you're doing something fantastic in the lives of people around me. Can I just be there? Can I have an ear to hear and a heart that's available to see? Your glory, your glory and your goodness manifest. And your goodness manifest. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful week.